Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Ever wonder what it's like to play in an MLB game? Play Loud is your exclusive look into the fun of the game as we mic up the league's biggest stars and follow them with dedicated cameras both on and off the field. Watch game time reactions to some of the biggest plays and follow your favorite players as they chat in the dugout with their teammates between innings. You never know what you're going to see or hear. It's baseball like you've never watched before. Tune in for new episodes of Play Loud only on the MLB YouTube channel. MLB YouTube channel. This is the Bradford Files with Rob Bradford. Today, the Red Sox talk continues with a real Red Sox insider. It's the team's COO and childhood friend of Theo Epstein, Sam Kennedy, joining Rob Bradford on the Bradford Files here on WEI.com. Welcome to another version of the Bradford Files. Today, we will be honored to have on Sam Kennedy, the Chief Operating Officer the Boston Red Sox, who has a very, very unique perspective on the team, the organization, the general manager who just left town, Theo Epstein, having grown up with him and been friends with him since fourth and fifth grade. And a variety of topics we talked about with Sam, including Theo, Theo's relationship with Larry Lucchino, how the struggles of the team affected everything about the organization, even their quest for a potential another Japanese pitcher, New Darvish, having already done it with Daisuke Matsuzaka when Sam was head of sales for the Red Sox and really debunked some myth in terms of why they went after Daisuke Matsuzaka and the, the payoff they had from that. So without any further ado, today's guest on the Bradford Files. We want to welcome Sam Kennedy, the COO of the Red Sox, to the Bradford Files. Sam, it is a pleasure and honor to have you with us because, you know what, you have a unique perspective on what is going on, not only in regards to the Red Sox and everything that happened is going to happen, but obviously with Theo Epstein, because this is a kid who, uh, a kid, I guess, a guy <laughs> who who uh, you, you probably know more about than anybody else in that those Fenway Park offices throughout the years, having grown up down the street from him, correct? Yeah, we, we have a relationship dating back to uh, probably fourth or fifth grade and, you know, grew up playing baseball together. And then uh, through uh, through chance, we ended up uh, reconnecting uh, in college when he was an intern for Larry Lucchino at the Orioles. And I was an intern for the New York Yankees of all teams, believe it or not, in the early 90s. And then Lucchino hired us both to uh, go out to San Diego. And that's uh, where we sort of had our formative years in, in baseball together. So we've known each other forever our parents uh, are good friends and um i uh you know it, it's it's uh, it's kind of been a bittersweet time to 
see him uh, move on from a personal and professional perspective, it's it's disappointing. Um, but at the same time, I really believe that it was time for him to move on. I think he was ready for the next challenge, and I think that the Red Sox uh, could not be in a better position with Ben. I mean, this is if you looked at corporate America, uh, this is what succession planning is all about. Ben has been being groomed for this role for for a long time, and I give Theo uh, and John and Tom and Larry a lot of credit for for creating a situation where Ben could could just step right into the role. And I was so impressed with how he handled himself the other day. So it's a hard thing anytime you uh, you know you have change or you, you lose a friend uh, to another city. But I'm also excited to see what he does with the Cubs. It should be fun to watch. Yes, yeah, so starting with Theo, I guess, and sticking with him, the it's a uh, it's a unique dynamic, uh, like you said, with your relationship with him and. And throughout your careers, you must have looked at certain times and said, you know, I can't believe this is the guy that I play <laughs> kickball or whatever with, you know, wiffle ball back in the, in, on the back streets of, of Brookline. But looking at him uh, in the pitches that we saw through Chicago as the president of baseball operations, was that kind of a landmark moment for you? And I guess another one? Yeah, you know, it really was. It was uh, it was surreal. I mean, I, first of all, I was so proud of of him and and how he handled himself um, at the uh, the Chicago press conference. The um, I've got a lot of friends out there. One of my good friends in the business, the president of the Chicago Blackhawks, and he, he told me that it's the, the the largest sort of off season Chicago sports story ever <laughs> in Chicago, uh, which is uh, pretty amazing to think about. Um, and I think Theo said it well when he said, "You know what? I should uh, I should just resign right now because my popularity is never going to get better." Uh, but it, it, you know, it, it's a culmination of uh, a lot of hard work and uh, a lot of hours. And you know, I think that the message that it should send. Um, and I was I was actually talking to my parents about this. You know, Theo and. Ben Sherrington and Jed Hoyer and Jason McLeod and all these guys that work in baseball ops, um, not to mention business ops, people like me who've made a career in sports on the business side, you really can do whatever you want in life and there's no limit to it. You just need to focus on it at a young age and then go after it with everything you have. And that's exactly what Theo Epstein did and that's exactly what Ben Sherrington did. And look where they both are now and, and it's uh, it's just a I think it's a great thing for major league baseball to have two examples of of kids who, who grew up loving the game, loving the sport and then giving it their all from about seventeen, eighteen years old on. And uh, it's it's kind of a special day for baseball in that regard. I'm curious, Sam, when did you actually think that this might be a realistic possibility? I mean, we heard about the possibility of the, of the Cubs being interested in Theo going back to August. But what at what moment do you remember thinking, you know what? Theo could actually end up in Chicago. And, yeah, probably about the same time. You know, it wasn't it wasn't something that uh, he uh, and I talked about or, or thought about. Um, I think that what he what he did talk about a lot, and I, frankly, I didn't believe him. Um, he, he he talked a lot about not wanting to continue um, in Boston beyond the the, the 2012 uh, contract, and I just always sort of thought in my mind, well, you know, he'll he'll sit down and, and rethink 
rethink that and sort of figure out a way to structure things um, that that would keep him here. Uh, but he really did believe that. Um, and, you know, John and Tom and Larry um, spoke to him about that and, and understood that. And I think we all just sort of had the impression that we would deal with that at, at, at that time. Um, and then when the Cubs thing came along um, this uh, this fall, it, it just I think what it just hit him the magnitude of the opportunity to to try and go out and and build a new culture and to try and do something that hasn't been done in a hundred years it was just too uh, it was too enticing I will tell you you know he he definitely struggled with the decision personally because he's got uh, he's got great family and friends here this is his hometown and obviously it always will be. Um, and he loved working here. I mean, it's it's uh, it's you know it's just it's the place where he really um, sort of has the, the most fond memories of uh, in baseball, um, as the, do the rest of us who have been here for ten years. So I know it was very hard to leave, but um, he he truly wanted to try and move on. And and again, we are in such good shape because of the sort of planning that he and Ben worked on over the last couple of years. It's interesting you say that he was really, I don't want to say dead set on saying that he's not going to come back after 2012, but certainly leaning that way. Yeah. What What do you think was pushing him in that direction? I mean, he mentioned the Bill Walsh and, and the, the, the shelf life and, yep. and and all of that, but we've also heard about the privacy issue, the, the, the challenges that come with just being in your hometown and being in, in a market like Boston. What do you think was the the uh, some of the main issues that he was facing that kind of made him make that decision that, hey, you know what, after 2012 at the latest, I'm probably out of here. Yeah, you know, he always talked about that that ten year sort of timetable. He really did put that timetable on the job and on the role. Um, and I guess in my mind, I sort of thought, well, maybe there'll be um, a, you know a different structure. You know, I work on the business side, and and we structure departments all the time. We give people room to grow with added uh, title, with added money, with added responsibility. Um, we also have to you know uh, we have to terminate people. So you you work on on creating an organization and, and fitting people into the right spots. That's that's what we do. And I always thought that um, you, you know if Theo wanted to try something new or create a new role here, um, that that John, Tom, and Larry would would certainly do that. Um, but ultimately, they um, you have to give uh, those guys a lot of credit, our ownership, for allowing him to exit a contract early uh, and to, to pursue this opportunity. I mean, they, they didn't have to do that. Um, it would have been uh, absolutely understandable had they said no. He's one of the best GMs in the game. Um, but they felt comfortable and okay doing it ultimately because, A, I think they – knew that it was important to Theo when he made that decision, and uh, they also knew that they were in very, very good hands with Ben Sherrington. But back to your specific question about Theo and the privacy and sort of being the fishbowl, I, I think, you know, Theo is a very private person. Um, he, you know, he's always been, uh, I've been always uh, more kind of outgoing and and uh, um, sort of more comfortable with strangers and, 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 and new situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Theo's always been 
know, a, a more reserved and, and sort of private. And um, so I, the way I look at it, we've joked over the years, you know, he, he's the buyer and I'm the seller uh, <laughs> in our relationship. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's clearly served him well. Um, but uh, I think he just he, he knew that it was a, a very intense uh, job, an intense market. Um, and the irony, of course, now is he's, he's in a place where it's probably just as intense, just as uh, uh, there's just as much scrutiny on him. Uh, but I think the, the 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 chance to do something uh, completely new and different was just uh, was too much to, to walk away from. You know, it's funny is is being around him that first year, and he he used to come down to the dugout every single day, every mm-hmm. before every single home game. He used to sit behind the plate for every game. And then, obviously, that changed, and a lot of things changed because of the demands of the job. How did you see him changing? Maybe not he's going to be who he is, but how did you see him changing and evolving um, as the as he kind of got used to the job and as the demands of the job really kind of was were figured out as he went along? Yeah, I, I think the thing that I probably noticed the most was his competitiveness. Um, I was surprised to see him uh, be even – I think he described himself as hyper-competitive, and, and that, that might even be an understatement. E- even after we won the World Series in 2004 and then again in 2007 and winning, I think, an average of 93, 94 games a year, he takes every win and every loss loss uh, so seriously and, and, and everyone, that culture in our baseball ops department um, is like that. I'll tell you, Lucino, Werner, and Henry are the same way, um, but you would think these guys that have worked in baseball for you know 20 years, 30 years, would would not be that into every game, but, but everyone is just so hyper-intense, and Theo became uh, almost to the point of uh, you know being just crazed when we would lose, um, and it got more and more and more intense. Um, and I think that's something that you know we all sort of struggle with. Maybe it just comes with uh, older age. I don't know. Uh, but it seemed it seemed that at times uh, you know he would lose some perspective, and, and you know we talk about it and just say um, you know it, there's a hundred baseball games left. You know it's yeah. okay. But um, his hyper-competitiveness is something that really became more and more intense. But, you know, I also, you know, he, he, he and I both uh, have hopefully matured over the last 10 years, you know, have, getting married and having kids. And um, he's an unbelievable dad and uh, a great husband. And, and he, um, you know, he, the, the, one, the, the one thing he loves more than, uh, than baseball, which is not many things, but Marie and Jack, I mean, he's totally committed to his family. Family and and that that is hard in baseball just because of the schedule. Um, so we'll have more day games at Wrigley, uh, which will be a good thing for the on the home front. <laughs> you know, it, it, playing off the the um, subject of being competitive, uh, and I understand your your office is probably a li- in a little bit different place than Theo's office, and it's not like you're out on a day to day basis that your your worlds are colliding. But throughout that September, uh, a month or month or so ago. It, throughout the office, no matter whether it's baseball operations or other parts of the organization, it must have been a stressful time. And I'm just wondering, from your perspective, when when you ran into the baseball ops people, or even in your corner of the world, what was it like there? Was it, as the month grew and as the as the struggles continued, could you sense that 
that the tension was growing as well. Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. It was it was painful. Um, we I actually uh, went a few of us from the, the business side um, and several of the baseball operations staff actually went on the Toronto yeah, uh, road that, trip. Yeah. Um, and we were we were up there, and you know that was um, in the uh, you know during the the, the middle or, or earlier part of the slide, and you know you, you remember the walk off home run and that intense game and that was when when Beckett got hurt in the bullpen and it, it just you could start to feel things um slipping uh but you thought to yourself this you know we're going to be okay here we're going to be okay um and then it just you know it got worse and worse and worse and it really um it was it was awful i mean we went 7 and 20 you know we own that we people you know i've got a lot of friends in this town and a lot of family and people said to me you know geez you guys are getting so beat up in the press and you know what i i, I know why uh, mm. i grew up in boston i'm i've lived this my whole life we blew it we went seven and twenty we own that um I think a lot of the things that have happened over the last 10 weeks, you know, have been, uh, or last four weeks really, have been completely unfair, um, and and some of them disgusting. Mm -hmm. But that said, I understand why a lot of this has happened. It's because we lost. And when, when you lose and you don't get the job done, you are vulnerable and you open yourself up for criticism from every corner. And we have received it. Um, but I do feel that on Tuesday, uh, we turn the page. I think collectively as an organization, we feel like we've turned the page. And we wish Theo well, and, and, but we're, we're all ready for this new era. Uh, real quick, you mentioned something that I totally forgotten about, which I didn't forget. I was on that Toronto road trip, and and I didn't forget about what happened. I remember Josh Beckett, um, the ankle injury, and and I believe that might have been when they had the the, the meeting, this much publicized meeting with Terry Francona. But that was that was when, as you said, a, a entire group of baseball operations, and you were on that trip. Was that that was just a retreat? Yeah, you know, we we were there. We had a a few uh, budget items that we were talking about for leaving or not for 2012. Um, but more, uh, a few of us just wanted to be with the team. We just felt uh, we hadn't spent a lot of time together, uh, the business side and the baseball side, um, over the the year, and and so we just we just kind of got together and went up for a few days. It's such a great city, um, and it's actually something that we we typically don't do. Um, but it just so happened to be that. We went during this uh, this historic period of time, and as I look back on it now, I think you know, but geez, I, I, I we could have been having the business guys along could have been the bad luck charm. So <laughs> this may be the last time we ever do that. Well, and and we talk about um, September, and and you talked a little bit about October. From your perspective, and, and you have a, a distinct perspective compared to the baseball ops and and everything that's gone on. Your job to a certain degree, is to is to have the perception of the Boston Red Sox stay a certain way. Would, would that be accurate? That's part of your job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have a, uh, a job and a responsibility. I mean, th th these guys, and I'm biased, and, you know, you take what I say with a grain of salt because they're my bosses, but I've worked for several sports teams and organizations over the past 20 years, and John Henry, Tom Warner, and Larry Lucchino, in my opinion, 
are the best owners in sports. Mm-hmm. In sports, not not in not in not in baseball, but mm-hmm. in sports because they give the resources to their management team and the staff to do what they need to do, whether it's the baseball side, the business side, the ballpark side, in terms of investment in a Fenway Park, people would kill to work for these guys. I mean, I grew up coming to Fenway. I grew up going to Red Sox games. I I don't know much about the prior ownership, the personalities, anything like that. But I can tell you that, that these guys are the model owners. If you want to work in sports, you want people who support you and, and give you the resources. So um, it's our job to make sure that the public knows um, how much they care. And, and I think we've, we've sort of let their actions speak louder than their words. That's why it's so difficult to hear all these things being written and, and, and talked about that are just that just aren't true and that are that are and it's frustrating and and, and, it, and it's hurtful too to be honest with you um, and so we you know but you can't take out a full page ad and say this was true or that was false when you when you don't have the uh, advantage of a of a microphone or a, or a pen or a website you know to, to, to write on it's 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 uh, it's hard to try and, and and debate or argue everything and you can't engage in it you just need to sort of state your piece and then move on which you know we've, we've tried to do um, but but this ownership group if you look back over the last 10 years, arguably the best in, in, in baseball, uh, certainly the best Red Sox ownership group ever, uh, and uh, they'll go down in, in history as, as sort of preserving and protecting this franchise. It's interesting. One of the things that we, we've talked about on the radio and, and people this talked about in regards to the Red Sox is that you look at last offseason, and, and it was a bad year the year before, but then you go out and you get Carl Crawford, you get Adrian Gonzalez. There's a lot of excitement going through the team. It was, it was really the, the perception had done it 180. There was a, People were looking forward to spring training. They were looking forward to the season. And now we look at what's going on now. And, and, I, and I think that you can be honest and say this is, it's, it's a complete role reversal here. And, and there's, there are challenges that – that no one could have seen coming when you have such such a great perception, uh, I guess, six months ago compared to now. What kind of challenges does that present you um, heading into the offseason here? Yeah, it's going to be um, an incredibly uh, exciting but challenging offseason. Uh, it's challenging because of what happened uh, in September. I mean, you remember we were on pace to win 100 yeah. games. Um, we certainly uh, had some incredible performances. Um, anyone around here who uh, who knows me you know, will tell you how, big of a fan I am of Dustin Pedroia. I mean, I just I just can't get enough of, of watching that guy play. Um, but what what a great season for so many guys. Some guys did not live up to expectations. Um, but moving into to next year, we have um, we have to a we need to restore the fans' sort of trust in this team because of of, of some of the things that happened that we were um, unaware of. Um, at least that I was unaware mm-hmm. of, and many of us weren't aware. Of. There's no excuses, um, but we've got to address those 
those issues, and I think our new manager and, and Ben um, is our, Ben's already addressing them. Ownership's already addressing them. There's a lot of dialogue going on with the players. But from a business perspective, um, we not only have our regular sort of day jobs of, of selling the tickets and selling the sponsorships and working on uh, all the events that we host at Fenway Park, but we have an obligation to the city of Boston and to Major League Baseball to properly uh, acknowledge and celebrate Fenway Park's 100th anniversary in 2012. And that's a, a really important milestone for baseball and, and for the city of Boston. So we've got there's a ton of planning going on uh, into that, and we're gonna we're gonna host a lot of uh, special events. We're gonna kick the year off with ice hockey um, January 1st through the 16th. Mm-hmm. So we're uh, we're working on that. That'll be our first thing, and uh, and then we'll have some other exciting announcements. So it'll be a a busy busy year. I think we'll sleep in 2013. Uh, in regards to the the excitement or the um, the the fans' attitude going into next year. Was there, it's two parts, was there any time in this past year where the sellout streak was in jeopardy? And do you have confidence that you're going to make it through another year and this thing's going to keep going? So the first answer is absolutely yes. Um, the uh, the sellout streak. It, it's always we we, we have uh, if, if and you know you, you you grew up around here. I mean coming to Fenway Park and having crowds in the in the high twenties, even the high teens when I was coming here oh, in yeah. the eighties. You know, um, so to 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 draw um, you know thirty seven thousand people night in and night out is just an unbelievable achievement by the fans. It's not we don't do it. You know, we can't buy our own tickets. The fans buy the tickets, and they've responded well, I really think, to two things. A competitive team year in and year out, which the Red Sox have not always had. They, they have under this ownership group, but not always. Uh, and the fan experience, and that means the physical improvements that we've made to Fenway Park and the way that fans are treated when they come to Fenway Park. People um, like being here. It's, we've got the, the, uh, the advantage of geography. We've got the advantage of history, uh, and we've got the advantage of a great product on the field. That said, um, we micromanage every single game uh, and and do our best to sell tickets early and sell them often. And we we have a the the the, the trick is is to sell um, as many tickets for April and September as possible. Those are the two hardest months to sell. Uh, and then the summer months usually I don't want to say take care of themselves, but given that Fenway has had so many improvements and it's got such history. There's unbelievable tourism in New England in the summer months. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have great uh, amounts of crowds buying tickets from people from other places. So we've really worked hard uh, with the colleges and universities uh, and family packages in, in April and May and September to try and, and work hard to sell tickets. But yes, we, we've almost missed uh, the sellout streak uh, several times. Uh, was, there not game, was there a game that you recall last year that that stood out as saying, "Uh uh-oh, there were I would say there were some homestands that we were you know that we were um, that we were close on and, and we eclipsed uh, the sellout uh, criteria um, which is which is tickets distributed uh, is larger than your seating capacity and and that's the criteria that the lion's share of major league baseball uses um, and and yes we were we were concerned um, 
but we also recognize that the streak, you know, the sellout streak, it may end. Mm-hmm. We, it's our job to try and keep it going. Uh, but if it ends, um, it, it ends. We'll, we'll be very proud of our fans for, for setting the records that they've set. Um, but but it's not something that is um, uh, is we know it has a, an end to it at some point. And, and maybe 2012 is, is that year, but maybe it's not. It's, it's our job to try and make sure that it doesn't end. Another topic um, that came up the other day was obviously Ben had his press conference and Larry was there, but John Henry and Tom Werner weren't there. And Larry explained why that why they weren't there. Um, but it led to the discussion once again about that since the ownership group has come in, there, there's been a lot of different investments. There's been um, just divergent kind of opportunities for for especially for John, I guess. Uh, have you noticed any difference or, or responsibilities or attention or how has how has, for instance, John Henry's ownership of a soccer team in England changed how he's approached this business? Sure, it's a, it's a great question, and I, I'm, I'm glad you asked it because I um, I'm always amazed at the the lack of understanding in the in the general media or the marketplace about sort of governance issues and and how Fenway Sports Group operates. Fenway Sports Group is the parent company which John and Tom and their owners and their partners. Excuse Excuse me, own. So they own the Red Sox, they own Liverpool, they own 80% of Nesson, and they own 50% of Roush Fenway Racing. Uh, and then they own 100% of our marketing company called Fenway Sports Management. So there's basically five businesses. The, the parent company is extremely healthy uh, financially. It's got great blue chip brands that are diverse. You've got a Major League Baseball team, an English Premier League soccer club, a NASCAR team, and a television network and a marketing company. Um, John and Tom do not run any of those businesses um, on a daily basis or run them themselves. They hire world-class executives to run each business. Larry Lucchino um, is a Hall of Fame baseball executive. He's, he, he, he built Camden Yards and took the Orioles to a World Series championship. He, uh, he saved the Padres franchise, built Petco Park, and, and, of course, you know what he's done here in Boston. Uh, Sean McGrail runs Nesson day-to-day. Um, a guy named Steve Newmark runs Roush Fenway. Uh, and a guy named Ian Eyre over in Liverpool runs Liverpool. That doesn't mean that John and Tom aren't involved. Believe me, they are involved and they care. Um, but they they leave the day-to-day management. I think John Henry said it uh, on the radio. I think he said, you know, Larry Lucchino runs the Red Sox. And he, by the way, he does. <laughs> He's my boss. He's Ben's boss. Uh, he was Theo's boss uh, when Theo was here. So so it, there's a there's a I think a misperception that that John and Tom are the um, you know the the CEOs and, and owner operators and and they're really not they're owners but they let their management and 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 um, uh, staff run the teams now they are involved with every major decision facing each business but I will tell you there is no lack of focus I mean you know they'll have a 
uh, a major league baseball meeting one day and a and a English Premier League owners meeting later that week and they'll attend both of them. I mean these guys are they're unbelievable. They have high energy, they're super competitive, um but they do not run the businesses day to day, uh but they they lend support and 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 everyone knows sort of the issues that need ownership approval versus those where that you can you can make a decision uh, on your own without ownership approval and 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 good executives sort of know the difference and if you mm-hmm. if you make a decision that that you needed ownership approval for and you didn't get uh you you probably won't won't make that mistake again you you, you mentioned something and I'll just a couple more quick questions but you sure. mentioned um Larry in in overseeing uh the Red Sox operation and uh it, it just made me think about one of the hot topics over the over the course of Theo's tenure which was his relationship with Larry and it was interesting how he phrased uh, the in the relationship in the op-ed piece that he, that he wrote, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing, but I believe it's something along the lines. And correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, productive, yet sometimes complicated. Yep. Yeah. So. Yep. Um, from I where think you, that was a great way of describing uh, it. You know, I, I do too. <laughs> I, I do too. It was, and it, it was probably very accurate. And it, but you, you, uh, we, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on because we talked about your perspective on a lot of different things and how unique it is. In that regard, it's it's maybe the most unique perspective. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I would say that that um, you, you know that uh, I had a complicated yet productive relationship with Theo. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we're friends. I think I think anyone who's close uh, to to each other, there are times when your relationships get uh, complicated. Look, Larry and Theo. Um, Larry hired Theo when he was 17 years old. They've known each other for a long, long time. Larry hired me when I was 23 years old. He's known me for a long, long time. We are like a family. Um, We've worked together. uh, We've played together. We've had uh, marriages, kids, deaths. We've we've been through a ton. Big, monumental victories, heartbreaking losses. Uh, Theo and Larry um, overall had an incredibly productive relationship. Together, they accomplished something that uh, hadn't been done in a long, long time. Um, but they are not, you know, socially, um, you know, friends. It, does, it doesn't mean you need to hang out at, uh, you know, at, at your country club together. Mm-hmm. Um, and Theo, Theo and I, I would say, uh, you know, we, we had a, a friendship that dates back to, you know, uh, fourth or fifth grade, like I said. Um, but, you know, there are times when I probably drove him nuts uh, because I was pushing uh, forward a business objective and he needed to push forward a baseball objective. And, you know, Larry, at the end of the day, as the CEO, uh, so the buck stops with him, he had to make decisions. And, and this is a hard job. You know, Larry's in charge of baseball, business, uh, and the, the Fenway Park renovation. So, um, you know, it, it's difficult, but um, ultimately, the, the, those two guys and, and me and Larry and our incredibly talented uh, management team all work together to try and to try and advance the the Boston Red Sox, and, and hopefully that that's what we've done. Two two last questions, which are are pretty pretty much off the beaten track. One of which is one of my favorite con- conversation points with you, and I've talked about since two thousand seven maybe even since late in 2006, which is the phenomenon, which is Daisuke Matsuzaka. And, and, uh, and you know, because I get asked about this, and, mm-hmm. and thanks to your explanation, I'm able to 
to try to remember what you said and answer it semi-intelligently. Um, but the, the, the dynamic of when Dice K came here and the posting fee and the effect it had on sales and, and um, everything along those lines was interesting to me. And I was wondering if you could explain that. But And one of the reasons I'm asking you to do it again is because there's another, there's the next Dice K Matsuzaki coming, which is you Darvish. And, and I think a lot of organizations are going to have to go through the same sort of thing where they have to determine how valuable is this guy, not only on the field, but off the field. So if you just could explain, looking back sure. at the Daisuke era, what was myth and what was not myth? Sure. So, so the the myth was um, that the, the Red Sox were pursuing uh, this player for uh, business purposes or sponsorship reasons um, or uh, marketing interests outside of our home television territory. We the, we do not have uh, the the way our business operates is pretty simple. We sell tickets. We sell sponsorships. We have our broadcast rights to sell. Um, we've got uh, concessions in the ball. Park. We host non-baseball events. That's how we operate our business. Major League Baseball um, only allows us, and rightfully so, to market within our home television territory of New England. So the Dice K Matsuzaka deal, um, the Carl Crawford deal, the Adrian Gonzalez deal, the the money we spend to develop Pedroia, um, Papelbon, Lester, so on and so forth. Are all, all those decisions are made for baseball reasons because what's going to drive uh, fan interest and ultimately our business objectives, which I'm responsible for, uh, are a winning baseball team. We need to have a, a great facility in Fenway and great customer service, uh, but the, the, the most important part of our quote-unquote marketing is winning baseball. So to the extent that Daisuke Matsuzaka uh, was a, a contributing member to our starting rotation in 2007, helped us win a World Series, absolutely that's an, an incredible boost to our marketing and to our sponsorships and all that. Um, but it's not as if it created a financial windfall with companies from Japan looking to, uh, to advertise with us. So would you look into so if if they said okay you know the U Darvish things on our radar think they can he can help the team do you think the organization would enter into something like that with a little different approach or mindset no, I think we actually, uh, given uh, Larry's experience um, in, in San Diego and in other markets, um, given Tom's experience uh, in San Diego and, and here in Boston, I think, and, and on various committees in, within Major League Baseball, we knew exactly what we were signing up for uh, in terms of what we could and couldn't do with Dice K from a, from a business perspective. Um, so it really was uh, a baseball decision. And it and it came with a ton of um, fanfare and, and media attention, uh, which was um, exciting and 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 and, and we, that was fine. Uh, but we, I think, on the U Darvis thing, I think it would be you know that would be a question for Ben and the baseball guys to say uh, this guy either either fits what we're looking for or not. My last question is another one of my favorite topics, which started last year, which was the right field fence. Yes. Um, if, if you could, if you could give us an update on if that that whole thing is going to be resurfaced again this offseason. Um, 
Go ahead. You, you know, I, I'm, uh, I, I, I actually don't know the answer to that. I'm embarrassed to say, which means uh, it's, it's really probably not on mm-hmm. the radar screen at all. I think it was something that we had talked about because of the, uh, the issues related to the size of the bullpen and creating some more, uh, some more comfort and space for the, for the guys out there. Um, but uh, I, I haven't heard anything about it uh, in a while, so I, I would assume uh, that it's off the table, but I reserve the right to be wrong on that, but I don't think you'll be hearing anything about that for a while. That's fair enough. Well, well Sam, I really appreciate you, you joining us here. It was, it's a lot of stuff to talk about, obviously, as uh, as we've talked about in the past, this the off-seasons with the Red Sox are always all-encompassing, but this year is... <laughs> It's something else. It, it, well, we're lucky to be in this market. The last thing I'll say is the uh, the incredible uh, intensity and, and passion is what makes us the best baseball market in the country. And when you uh, when things are good, they're never as good as they are in Boston. <laughs> but when they're bad, let's just say they're intense. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Sam, thanks so much thanks, for joining Rob. us. Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Forget front row seats. We're taking you into the action on the field and in the dugout with Season 2 of Play Loud. Follow some of the league's biggest stars as we mic them up and get the cameras rolling during some of the hottest matchups of the season. Catch real-time reactions from Juan Soto and Francisco Lindor in the field and catch all the hilarious conversations between players off the field with unprecedented access. Watch episodes of Play Loud at YouTube.com slash MLB. Play Loud brings you baseball like you've never seen before. A bad team facing a good team is never completely out of it. Nick Costos, co-host of You Better You Bet. 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern on the BetQL Network. There's 162 games in the season. The best teams are going to lose 60-plus times, and the worst teams are going to win 60-plus times. Each night is its own individual entity. That's what makes betting on the baseball regular season so much fun. All the insight you need to bet smarter is at BetQL.com. And listen to You Better You Bet with Nick Costos and Ken Barkley streaming weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. Eastern on Odyssey.